In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most compassionate Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was in Inspired with this confidence, I fly unto thee, Virgin, the Virgin's our mother. To thee do we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer them. Lady Seed of Wisdom and Spouse of the Holy Spirit, St. Joseph, St. Alphonse Liguori, St. Anthony Mary Claret, St. Louis de Moffat, St. Paul of the Cross, St. Francis and Bonaventure, St. Bernardiniana and John Capistrano, St. John Vianney and St. Pio. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. couple of quick notes, too. Uh, this, this conference is kind of long, okay? It's maybe an hour and a half. Sorry, but we have to do it. And it is Lent, so you've got to do penance. So I'm just helping you get to heaven by doing penance. That's number one. And, you know, and I, I make this comment, too. We're a bunch of crybabies today, okay? A bunch of crybabies. We don't like to sacrifice for the Lord. And this is what's missing in the church today. We need the spirit of the martyrs. We've got to be willing to die, shed our blood for the church and for the faith, especially in these times. I say when people cry about traveling an hour, two hours for Mass, I said, shame on you. Look what happened when those tyrants, the English, took over Ireland. When the Mass, the holy sacrifice of the Mass was forbidden. Men would wake up, real men. Catholic men would wake their families up 2 o'clock in the morning. 2 o'clock in the morning. Little kids, babies, 8, 10, 15, because you know they didn't use contraceptives. And they would march their kids and their family through the dark woods in the middle of the night, up mountains, down mountains. Why? To go find the mass rock that was hidden in the woods so that they can receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. They were willing to lay down their life for the faith. Okay? They were willing. Because if they were caught at that mass, they would be put to death, maybe. So let's reflect upon that. We should have that love and desire for the mass, that we would do anything to go to Mass, no matter how far we have to travel, okay? So let's not complain, but thank God for what he gives us. And so yesterday the conference started on debt. As I told you, the one thing for certain is that we are men, and all men must die. But the only thing that's uncertain is the time of our death. Therefore, we must be prepared to die at every moment. And we must never fall into serious sin. Because that's the only thing that can separate us from God. And I told you many stories about people that die sudden death. A sudden death, once again, is not a blessed death. Because you don't have chances to make acts of faith, hope, charity. Once again, you want to receive the last rites. Holy Viaticum. 
I remember watching the Discovery Channel one day. And they had a, a true story about these four men. They were golfing. And all of a sudden, a lightning storm came. One man ran under the tree. The three other men remained on the greens. The three men on the green were struck by lightning. But the man under the tree that wasn't, he dropped dead and they lived. And they said what happened was that the electricity, the current that came was so powerful that it caught the man under the tree. It caught his heart between beats and it stopped his heart instantly and he died. You would think for sure the three men that were struck would be killed, but they weren't. So once again, be ready because that can be us. Any one of us. And so this conference will be on the particular and general judgment. And it's very important that we know what the church teaches on these particular subjects, especially today. There's many pseudo-mystics out there. Many. Okay? And they're, they're pumping everyone with lies. Killiamism. Uh, millennialism, the thousand-year reign, that Jesus Christ is going to come before the second coming again, which is a contradiction right there, but he's going to come and he's going to reign on the earth with the saints. There'll be no sin, no effects of sin. It's all heresy. He came once, the next time it's over, the final judgment. Don't let anybody tell you different. Okay? In the book of Hebrews... It says, it is appointed unto men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. Not twice, three times. These Eastern religions are straight from hell, where they tell you, you know, you're reincarnated, and if you're good, the ultimate good, you come back as a cow. Imagine that. Isn't that nice? Come back as a cow. Never seen it, heard about a cow riding a book driving a car or anything like that, because they don't have intelligence. They're not humans. But anyway, and then eventually, if you're fortunate, you'll annihilate yourself, and that's it. It's all nonsense. Reincarnation is condemned by the church. It's condemned by God. Okay. So, each man is both an individual person and a part of the whole human race. Wherefore, a twofold judgment is due to him. First, the particular judgment is that to which he will be subjected after death. When he will receive accordingly as he had done in the body and has left undone. Okay, that's very important that you're going to be judged when your soul leaves your body, not on just the deeds you perform, but by Omission, sins of omission. We all have a vocation. We all have obligations pertaining to that vocation. And some things that are left undone are grave sins. And we're going to get to that, especially for parents. And you don't discipline your children and so forth. We'll go over that. But so know that the particular judgment is going to be pertaining to the sins you have committed and sins of omission. The other judgment, the general judgment, will be passed on the person as part of the human race. So we are individuals, so we're judged as an individual, but we make, we're part of society, 
and will be judged with society, the whole human race. Immediately after death, the particular judgment takes place in which by a divine sentence of judgment, the eternal fate of the deceased person is decided forever. He must stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account of all he has done and left undone. How awful this judgment is, we learn from the words of St. Paul. It is a fearful thing, he says, to fall into the hands of the living God. St. Paul, St. Paul, who's lifted up to the seventh heaven, he says it's a fearful thing. How many people we hear talking like that today? Everybody thinks it's just going to be a party. It's not. King David said, Summon not thy servant for judgment, for no one alive is just before thee. Again, St. Paul says, I am not conscious of myself of anything, yet I am not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. He's saying, I don't... I don't recall any sins. I think I'm in the state of grace. And the church teaches we cannot know 100% certitude that we are in the state of grace. And we can't, don't get paranoid if you're faithful, you're following the commandments, the precepts of the church. Those are all good signs. You have peace in your soul. It's good signs. And we trust God. So, Consider what a strange new sensation it will be for your soul when it finds itself separated from the body in an unknown world. Now, for the first time, your eyes are open and you see clearly what eternity is, what sin is, what virtue is, how infinite is the the, the being of the deity and how wondrous your own nature. The veil will be lifted. There will be no more doubt. And when this happens, you're going to know that everything Holy Mother Church taught for 2,000 years was true. The dogmas of the church are true. Even heretics, schismatics, atheists, agnostics, they will know that there is one true God and only one church. They'll know it without a doubt. Those that are in a state of grace that are faithful to God, his church. We have nothing to fear. The judgment will go good for us. We may have to go to purgatory. And I'll tell you this, I hate when priests get up in this pulpit and they tell you, oh, just be fortunate if you make purgatory. Anybody says that, say, get behind me, Satan. Because I always tell people, it's just like an archer, when he's shooting for his target, the father away the target is, the farther the distance. What does he do? He wants to hit that bullseye, but what? He he raises his sight because as the arrow goes, the farther it goes, it starts to drop. Well, heaven's a ways off. And if we're aiming our sight, if we don't raise it and aim high, if you miss the target, where are you going? You're going to hell. And it's a sin. I'll go over that. The first command, if you don't desire heaven, God will make, makes it possible for us to go straight to heaven. He wants all of us to go straight to heaven. 
So once again, those that are faithful, the judgment, particular judgment, will go good. But God forbid if you're a reprobate, the saints tell you that the reprobates will be, will experience more fear at the particular judgment when Jesus Christ comes in his glory to judge them than they will experience in all the eternity in hell. Because God comes with a vengeance for those reprobates then, as we're going to see. Some of the saints give us a picture of the particular judgment for reprobates. They tell you what happens when a criminal, a wicked criminal, is dragged in before the court, before the judge. They bring him in chains. His feet are chained. His hands are chained around his waist. He's chained up. That's how the reprobates are going to go before our Lord. And so... There are six things that strike terror into the soul when it is summoned to the particular judgment. Six things. The first, the soul fears because he knows his judge to be omniscient, that nothing can be concealed from him, nor can he be in any way deceived. You hear that? You cannot deceive God. Nothing will be hidden from him. He knows every thought you ever had and ever will have. He knows every deed you performed or left undone. You can't conceal it from him. It's not like going before a judge in this world and you lie, you can lie everything they don't know. No. The second reason why one would fear is because his judge is omnipotent. Nothing can withstand him. And no one, no one can escape him. I don't care how big or strong you think you are. When you go before the living God, you are nothing. You're not going to be able to escape. You can't say, I don't want to go. I want to live another second. When he calls, it's all over. That's all she wrote, as they say. The third reason is because his judge is not merely the most just but the most strict of judges to whom sin is most hateful that he will not allow the slightest transgression to pass unpunished. Our Lord tells us he wants us constantly in the gospel. You will answer for every idle word. So you will pay right down to the last cent. Okay? We will have true justice in the particular judgment and the general judgment. There's no justice, they say, in this world. But in the next, everything is set straight. The fourth reason is because the soul knows that God is not his judge alone, but also his accuser. He has offended him. And he will defend his honor and avenge every insult offered to it. Your accuser is going to be Jesus Christ himself. You crucified me. You rejected my love, my forgiveness. You didn't go in confessional when I told you to go. It's going to happen. He knows everything. This is scary. The fifth reason is because the soul is aware that the sentence once uttered is irrevocable. There is no appeal for him to a higher court. It is useless for him to complain of the sentence 
It cannot be reversed. And whether adverse or favorable, he must accept it. That's it. You have to accept it. You can't say, I want, I want to go to the Supreme Court. You are at the Supreme Court. You can't say, I want a higher judge. There is no higher judge. No higher judge but Jesus Christ. And the sixth most powerful reason of all why the soul fears to appear before the judgment seat is because he knows not what the sentence of the judge will be. He has far more cause to fear than to hope. Think about it. If you go tonight before the judge, what do you think your sentence will be? What do you think? I want you to meditate on that. Years ago, many years ago, I saw uh, this priest. He was on EWTN. And he said he had a near-death experience. Now, let me warn you about this stuff, number one. We hear many stories today of these death experiences. And a lot of it's a trick from the devil. A lot of these people tell you they've been living wicked life. Okay, fornicators, you name it. And they die in their sin, and they see this beautiful light, and they're all happy. That's the devil. Because guess what? They're not going to change their lives. I was going to heaven anyway. So why should I change my life? That's not from God, those things. But there are certain legitimate ones, I believe, because you could tell when the person changes their life and does a total turnaround. Okay, so this priest, I think he was, he was telling the truth because you could see him trembling when he talks about it. He had fear in his eyes. And he said that he was in a bad accident and he almost died. And he didn't realize, he forgot everything. And one day he was preaching the gospel after he was healed. And he said it all came back to him. He remembered what happened. And he said he died in that car accident. And he went before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Okay? And he said, our Lord said to him, he said he, he always had a plan that he'd be able to defend himself. He had all the answers, he said. He said, but when you go before the judgment seat, there is no defending because you can do nothing but agree with the supreme judge. He says, he says something, you just keep going. Yes, that's true, that's true, it's true. And if you're a reprobate, you don't even want to be with God. You hate him. So he said, our Lord said to him, you have been a priest for yourself. You didn't serve my people. You didn't serve me. And you deserve the pains of hell for eternity. And he said he was trembling. And all of a sudden he heard a woman's voice, a beautiful voice, and said, Son, give him another chance. That was the mother of God. And Jesus said to his mother, Why should I? He was a bad priest. He wasn't faithful to his vocation. And the priest admits that. He, all he cared about was playing golf. The priest admits that he was falling into mortal sin. He was using a confessional like a revolving door. He didn't care about souls. He lived for himself. So he said he was trembling. And then the mother of God spoke again and said, Son, if we give him one more chance, many people will be saved because it is. So our Lord can never say no to his mother. Never. Never. And so they gave him another chance. And like I said, I believe it's true because it, match, it, it fits in with what we know about the particular judgment. 
And it fits in. You know, our law can be merciful. He gives extraordinary graces sometimes like that. And like I said, he had an amendment of life. He changed his life. So know that this is what we have to look forward to. So what I want to do now is, because you're going to go to the judgment seat, I'm going to go through an examination of conscience. I'm going to go through the Ten Commandments. And when it, I'll go through the major, the highlights of the sins on each commandment. And pay attention. I want you to say a prayer to Our Lady to open your heart. And that if there's anything that you haven't confessed, that you must confess it. The church teaches, once again, if you don't withhold the sin intentionally, you didn't commit a sacrilege. But once you remember it, you're obliged to get in the confessional the next time you go and confess that sin so the priest can give you penance so you can make reparation and atonement for the sin. And if you would, and if you withheld the sin intentionally, then you committed sacrilege. Every confession after that is no good. Every communion is sacrilege. And then you have to go in there and make a general confession. And let me make a point on that. A general confession, the church advises, there's two kinds. There's ones that go, that goes over your whole life. And the church advises to do that when there's a big change in your life. Like, say, you're ready to get married, or you're ready to take religious vows, or you're ready to be ordained a priest. And then there's a general confession which consists of where you go from year to year. Like, this Lent you do one, next Lent you do one. But there are certain cases where the church says the priest shouldn't hear a general confession. And that's what anyone that has scrupulosity... Okay, that's the worst thing you could do for that soul. And the last thing I want to say before I start the examination of conscience is, we have to know the difference between mortal sin and venial sin. Mortal means death, separates you totally from God. Venial is slight offense, but you're still in union with God. And in order to commit a mortal sin, number one, it has to be a grave sin against God, a grave, serious offense. Number two, you have to have sufficient knowledge. Number three, free will. If you have one of them missing, it's not a mortal sin. Okay? So keep that in mind. So we're going to start with the first commandment. And I love it when people get in the confessional and they say, Father, I really can't think of any sins. I say, yeah, really. I said, and I said, well, let's, let's go through the commandments. And the first commandment we could spend 20, 40 minutes on alone, usually. So the first commandment is, thou shalt not have false gods before me. So atheism is a sin. It one people who reject, okay, or doubt God's existence. A lot of people out there have fallen into that. Agnosticism are people who believe in existence of a transcendental being which is incapable of revealing itself. And makes no judgment about God's existence, declaring it impossible to prove or to affirm or to deny it. You know, you hear this a lot today. Sins against the first commandment, have you neglected prayer? We're obliged to say prayer, morning prayer, night prayer. Okay? Are you ungrateful towards God? Do you have hatred or anger towards God? Many people blame God for everything in their life. When it's not God, it's their own fault for not following his ways. Have you had false gods before you? In other words, 
Do you give honor to creature? Do you worship creatures in place of God? And that could be many things. Money, yourself. So people today, we're worse than the pagans. The pagans worship false gods. Today, man worships himself. Okay? The occult are sins. Anything with the occult are sins against the first commandment. And this is really on the rise today more than ever. Have you played, dabbled in witchcraft, wicca, black magic and white magic? They say, well, black magic or black witchcraft and white witchcraft. Black witchcraft is bad because you put bad spells and curses. But white witchcraft is good. They're both from hell. All right. So if you're dabbling in that, a lot of young girls are getting into this wicker stuff. It's very bad. Okay. Have you played with Ouija boards? Ouija boards, you can get possessed. It opens up the door to the occult. And look how sharp the devil is, how smart he is. He's a deceiver, the father of lies. So what does he do? Where do you get the Ouija board? Toys R Us. It's a game. It's not a game. It's evil. One time I had ten college students come and they were playing the Ouija board for four hours on Easter Day of all days. They thought it was a game, they said. And the ding started to speak to them and tell nice jokes and they were all laughing. And then it started getting a little more serious after time went on. And then the spirit started to tell them all their sins because they were all immortal sins and they were all embarrassed. Then the spirit said that it was a girl that was raped and murdered in the Bronx. And then the spirit went on to say that it was going to kill one of their friends the next day. So they went to seven priests and they all laughed. That's not, that's all nonsense. <laughs> that, that, that's not true. And then they came to me. I said, oh, it is true. Those people, kids were trembling. And they had crystals around their neck, had to rip that off. And there was one girl there out of the ten that didn't want to give it up. You know what she said? He offered me power, the devil, I want it. Well, you want it, you're going to get it. And you're going to lose your soul. So, you know, years ago they had that stupid picture, the exorcist. But there's a true story about that. It wasn't a girl. It was a young boy, 15 years old. And he got possessed through the Ouija board. His aunt was a spiritualist. And when she died, he tried to get in contact with a spirit through the Ouija board, and he got possessed. Have you gone to fortune tellers, tarot cards, tea leaf reading? All these are serious seances. These are grave sins against the first. If you go to a palm reader, you could get possessed. And you know how you get possessed too? Number one, if you're, if you're in a state of mortal sin. You can get possessed like that because your soul is dead. If God permits it, you can get possessed. So if you're going to these people and you're in mortal sin, you can get possessed very, very easy. Have you been hypnotized? Okay, these are serious sins. The first commandment, we go on to sins against the faith. Have you committed the sin of heresy? Heresy is where you deny the teachings of the church a dogma. And there's what we call a material heretic and a formal heretic. A material heretic is one that holds a position against the teaching of the church, but doesn't know that. They're not guilty of a mortal sin yet. 
But a formal heretic is one that knows the church says, no, this is not what we teach. And they still embrace that false teaching, even knowing that the church says no. Then you are a formal heretic. You commit a grave mortal sin. And you lose all the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. And when you sin, commit a sin of heresy, the great saints like Alphonse Gori say, very, very rare do they ever convert. Usually they despair. Okay, so the church, if you deny the dogma that there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church, you are a heretic. Okay? You're not gonna, you're in mortal sin. And let me tell you one more thing about the commandments. The first three commandments are the worst to break because they pertain solely to God. The next seven commandments, when you break them, you offend God and your neighbor. So the worst is the first and the second and so on. So there's sins of apostasy, those that abandon the faith totally. It's happening today, left and right, apostasy in the church. Okay, are you sin? Are you committed? Are you a schismatic? Schismatic is not someone who's disobedient. That's not schism. Many people get confused today. Okay, but it's a schismatic is one that rejects the authority of the Roman pontiff, the pope. Rejects it. Say he has no power. He's no one. Another grave sin today is set of acontes. These people believe that the seat of Peter is empty. Since Pius the Twelfth, this is nonsense. These people all despair. They have no hope. The Church has defined in Vatican I that there will always be a Pope, a visible head of the Church, till the very end of time when Jesus Christ comes in His glory. Except for the interregnum, that's when the Pope dies, and we have to vote, they vote in a new one. So the, we will always have a pope. Don't ever fall for that. Many people in the traditional movement, they start getting crazy when they see things happen in the church. And they start, they, you know, getting crazy. They run. And many of these people. And you know what many of these set of accounts are? They're, they're very intelligent people. They're brilliant, a lot of them. I know some of them. And we don't get along, believe me. And you know what? They think they're so smart. But guess who's smarter than all of them? The devil. He was the greatest intelligent being that God created, besides Our Lady. Where is he? He's in hell. The devil could read the Bible frontwards, backwards, in every language there is. Where to get him? He's in hell. So just because you're so smart doesn't mean you can't fall into error. Okay? So then we also have... Have you willfully, once again, doubted any articles of the faith? Have you neglected your instructions of the faith? You're obliged to continue to study your faith. It doesn't end with confirmation. When you die, you go before the judgment seat. God's going to judge you on the gift of the intellect that he gave you. He's going to say, and your, your obligation as far as your vocation. He said, you should have known this much. You only know this. You're going to have to go to purgatory if you made it. So we... And, you know, so we have to study our faith, especially today, so that we won't fall into errors. Okay, and then once again, there's a sin of indifferentism, which is to believe that one religion is as good as another, that all religions are equal and true and pleasing to God. 
God despises every so-called religion except Catholicism. He despises all of them. That's it. I don't know how clear I can get clearer. It's it. There's only one faith, one baptism, one church. It's the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? So this indifferentism is going on. We've been, it's been shoved down our throats for 35 years, this universal salvation, this false ecumenism. Let's pray with the Jews. Let's pray with, I don't pray with them. I pray for them. And you better do the same for their conversion because we don't want anyone to go to hell. Have you read books against the Holy Catholic Church? Very, are you, do you read Protestant books? You're not allowed to read them. It's a mortal sin because you endanger your faith. Did you go see that blasphemous movie, The Nativity? That movie blasphemed the Mother of God. You know how many priests were leading souls to that movie? Catholic, so-called Catholic priests. You know what I, people tell me? Well, my priest took 75 of, the, of us. And I said, well, I have a message for him. Will you give it to him? They said, yeah. I said, you tell him. Our Lord said to him, better a millstone wrapped around his neck and thrown into the depths of the ocean than to lead my little ones astray. You know, a millstone weighs at least 2,000 pounds. Pitch it out with a nice thick chain around your neck thrown into your... You're going to hell. That's what he's telling you. You don't lead the little ones astray. So if you're looking, you have any Protestant stuff at home, you go and burn it. Throw it in the trash where it belongs. Because if you think you're too smart, the devil's got you already. You don't read that stuff. The first command, I'm going to touch on this and I'll come back to, but the main one of these most important things for parents, and you let your children read Harry Potter, shame on you. You're going to burn in hell and so are they. Harry Potter is demonic. Harry Potter is from hell. Harry Potter opens up the door to the occult so the devil could come in. I was preaching upstate New York once in this family. I used to go there. They loved, oh, Father Isaac, you're such a good preacher. You're so faithful. Oh, yeah, they love me. And until I preached against Harry Potter, good homeschoolers, too. And then they went nuts. They started you know, persecuted me. And of course, I just stood my ground and I felt bad for my prayed for them. But God is awesome. The next day in the Daily News, you know, there was an article. There was a woman in Spain that had a Harry Potter book. And she says, I want to see if these spells really work. So she, she started doing the spells. Her house went on fire. Half the house burnt down before the firemen got there. It's from hell. Hell. I was on an assignment years ago when I was a deacon and I had to preach and I came down because the librarian town told us all these kids come in for that trash, those books. And then you know what they do? They don't stop with Harry Potter. They graduate to the real, uh, even deeper witchcraft and voodoo. She says these girls are coming in all dressed in black. She heard them over talking. One girl started a fire in our house too with some of the spells. And the girl, they were so excited. It really works. But after I preached, this giant came in and he was so furious with me because he was on the board of the town board. And he said, you should come to me and tell me. I said, well, I'm, I did what I'm supposed to do. You go get those books out of there now. And thank God he got him out. But this is it. You can't let your children read that. 
It's from hell. You go home and you burn them right now. Now, the first commandment. Have you defended Holy Mother Church? Have you failed to defend the church when you were obliged? It even says in this new catechism that once you're confirmed, you have an obligation to defend Jesus Christ and his church by word and by deed. Remember what Jesus said to us. If you deny me before man, I will deny you before my father. That means you're not getting into heaven. How can you sit there when our Lord or our mothers blaspheme? I can't. And hopefully they'll martyr us. Hopefully they'll come in here and they'll cut all our heads off tonight, starting with Father Wolf. Be Father Wolf and companions. It'd be awesome. We'll go straight to heaven. Lay down our life for Holy Mother Church. Have you joined any forbidden societies, Masonic lodges? The Masons are from hell. The Masons are the biggest enemy of the Catholic Church, and they worship the devil, those on a higher level. They have black masses, which means they steal the host, which is so easy today when they go to a Novus Ordo church, communion in hand. In New York City, I had a head on a price for years. It was $25 for a host. $25. It shows you how that consecration is real because a real witch, a real warlock, they know the true presence of God in the Eucharist more than we do. Have you joined any other forbidden societies? You can't join them. St. Maximilian Kolbe in the year 1917, you never, never forget reading about this, when he, right in front of the Vatican in St. Peter's Square, the Masons were there protesting against the Catholic Church. They had a dummy that was supposed to be the Pope, and they were hanging him, and they put him on fire. They said they're going to conquer the Church. And he was inspired by the Immaculate to start the militia of the Immaculate. And he used to say that prayer all the time. Oh, Mary conceived without sin. Pray for us for every cause to thee. And for all the enemies of the Holy Church, especially the Masons. People are afraid to talk about the Masons today. And they're powerful. Don't get me wrong. They're very powerful. We can't be afraid. We've got to pray for their conversion. There's someone ever converted. There's one guy, Bruno. He converted. He, was, he had a dagger. He was going to try to assassinate the Pope. And Our Lady converted him. It's Our Lady of Revelation, I think it's called. It's right by Tre Fonte in Rome. Okay, many, many conversions happen there to this day. Then we go, the first commandment, sins against hope. Have you despaired of God's mercy? Okay, do you give up that spot on your salvation? That's a grave, grave sin. It's a sin against hope. Okay? Or do you lack confidence in the power of God's graces? Okay? Or do you lack a desire to possess eternal life? These are grave sins. Do you fall into the sin of presumption? This is one of the worst sins, which is to hope for salvation without help from God or to assume God's forgiveness without conversion. So many people come into confession, and they will after I preach on it, Say, yeah, I committed that sin because I knew I could come to confession. That's the worst sin. Yeah, Jesus, I'm going to crucify you. I'm going to spit on you. I'm going to crown you with dawns. I'm going to put a spear in your heart. But I know you'll forgive me. You think that's love? It's a bad sin. 
Do you boast of your sins? Boasting of sins or your past sins is a very horrible crime. Okay? And then one of the worst sins, the worst sin basically you commit against the first commandment is sacrilege. Have you received the sacraments in mortal sin? Have you received the Eucharist knowing that you're in mortal sin? That is a sacrilege. And I am amazed how many people do it. <clears throat> Have you received any of these sacraments? Confirmation. Today, unfortunately, in this country, the bishops are letting these children get a, a confirmed way too late. And they can't, they don't have, they need the completion of their baptismal grace. They need that extra outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the fortitude, so they could fight against impurity and everything else. And when they don't, when they give it to them at 16, 17, most, almost all these kids, I'm sorry to say, they're, they're receiving the sacrament in mortal sin. Today, many people are cohabitating and they get married. They're not sorry for the sins. They don't. The priest has to make that couple separate for six months. And if and they contract, otherwise they contract a marriage in mortal sin. It's valid, but there will be no fruit to the marriage. It will revive if they truly are repented and confess. But the chances of that are slim. And when you tell them they have to do that, if they're a good will, they separate. So many people are receiving the sacraments of mortal sin today. Many. And then we come to one more on the first commandment. On behave, your behavior in church, are you reverent when you come into the house of God? Be silent in the house of God. I must say I'm very edified on the behavior over here of the people in the church. You people are blessed. You have good leaders. And they're responsible for you. And I gotta say, they're doing a good job, but I'm very pleased here. But I've been to churches all over this country. It's like a circus. Okay, how do you come dressed to church? So many women are coming so dressed immodestly. And the men complain about it and they confess, say, Father, I even come to sanctuary God. I have to, I need blinders like a racehorse on my eyes. Because these women are dressed immodestly, and we all go over that. But you know, we're in the Holy of Holies here. In the Old Testament, what was in the Holy of Holies? It was the center of the temple. But what was in the Holy of Holies? The two tablets of the Ten Commandments. Aaron's scepter and the manna from the desert. God was present only spiritually. And only the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies once a year. Once a year. Anybody else that would step foot, one foot in, he'd be struck dead. Struck dead. And they would put a rope around the high priest's waist when he went in. You know why? Because if he did anything disrespectful when he went in there, God would strike him dead. And you can't go in there to get him out. Because you'd be struck dead. And you can't leave him in there because it desecrates the temple. So they pull him out. And now, my friends, we have the fulfillment of the Holy of Holies. Jesus Christ himself, body, soul, and divinity. How much more reverence should we have? It's gone. It's gone. Let's pray for a renewal in the church for this. 
that people will truly come to respect. It's a lack of faith. People don't believe in the true presence of Jesus Christ in the sacrament. And you know, people will say to me, well, Father, you believe that statistic that 75% of people of Roman Catholics don't believe in the true presence of the Eucharist, in the Eucharist. And I say, no, I don't believe that. And they look at me, I said, I think it's a lot worse. I think it's a lot higher. Okay? So these are the main sins against the first commandment. We only have nine left. Good news, huh? The second commandment, thou shalt not take the Lord God's name in vain. Dishonoring of God by profane or disrespectful use of the name of God, the holy name of Jesus. When we say the holy name of Jesus, we're supposed to always bow our head for the priest that's in the rubrics in the Mass. When we say the holy name of Mary, we always bow our head. If you're not doing that, get into that practice. It shows, you know, we honor God, we worship God. And the Blessed Virgin, we give a hypodulia. But have you used disrespectful use of language, anything, with the saints, the Blessed Virgin? Blasphemy is speak, speech or gestures that have contempt or express insult to God, Jesus Christ, the Catholic Church, the Blessed Virgin, the saints. This is so, so common. I was trained by an exorcist years ago in my order, and he told us many people that get possessed they get possessed because of the sin of blasphemy. And how do they know that? Because in order to cast a demon that's taken over the body, you have to get the demon's name, and you do that by commanding. And then you have to get the demon's mission, and you find out why he was possessed, the person, and how. And the demon has to tell the exorcist. That way he could cast him out. Blasphemy. Okay? Have you committed sins of perjury? That's to promise something under oath and you break it or with the intention of not keeping it. We see this today in our society. Presidents even do this. Shame on them. Have you taken any false or unnecessary oaths? You don't just swear to God for any reason. It has to be a very grave situation. Okay? Have you broken any vows or promises to God? The third commandment, thou shalt keep the uh, Sabbath day holy. Okay? Have you missed Mass on Sunday? So many people say, well, you think God would really send someone to hell if he intentionally misses the Mass on Sunday? I say, sure will. Sure will. No problem. He'll send you. And you send yourself ultimately. Okay, have you missed holy days of obligation? All right? Have you fulfilled your Easter duty? You must, Easter, you must go to confession. You must receive the Eucharist. Go to Mass. It's an obligation. Okay? Have you kept the fasting rules? You know, people cry today. They can't even fast an hour. But the church, even though that was modified, unfortunately, the church says that we should... Originally, we should still follow the original fast from 12 midnight, just water. Keep that in mind. We should strive for that. Okay? Have we 
do you, if you're an employee, do you require your employees to work unnecessarily on Sunday? Do you work unnecessarily on Sunday? You only allow two hours of servile work the church teaches on Sundays. And for the women here especially, do you shop on Sundays? You know, shop till you drop, or you see that bumper sticker all the time. So more or less same to shop on Sundays, unless it's for necessity, food, medicine. Okay? And so that, that covers most of the majority of the sins. Do you give alms to Holy Mother Church? You're obliged to support your church. And I always tell people, too, they say, well, you don't give the, your money to some people, to priests and people of uh, religious that are heretics. You don't do that. You give it to those that are faithful. Okay? But you're obliged to give. Okay? It's very important. Now we come, after the first three commandments, the fourth commandment. And notice that the most important commandment after the first three is this one. And it pertains what? Honor thy mother and father. You parents should be terrified. You parents have such an awesome responsibility, you should be all trembling in your seat right now. You should be sweating. Because God has given you such an awesome responsibility. Thank God you, you cooperate with His grace. You, the procreative act. You bring a child into this world. But for what's, what's the reason? Give glory to God. That another soul comes in this world and is baptized and becomes a temple of the living God. That you're supposed to raise this soul to be a great saint so that this soul will go to heaven and bring many others to heaven with them. And that they'll glorify God for all eternity. There'll be another soul in heaven because you cooperated and you did the right thing. No souls are, have a value that's infinite. Why? Because our Lord paid the price. Our Lord shed His blood for your child, for you. Are you playing fast and loose with your children's soul? You better take this serious and pay attention. Because believe me, every parent here is guilty of some sin that I'm going to go over here. We'll start off with for children first. Okay, have you had a deep anger or hatred against your parents? Did you curse your parents? It's a serious sin to do that when you're a child. Okay, and any other lawful superiors, teachers, and so forth. Have you provoked your parents to anger, insulted them, or neglected them in their necessities? Now, all parents here with children, too. At one time, you still have parents alive sometimes. One of the sins against the fourth commandment is many people are putting their parents in nursing homes, and they don't belong there. Do you hear me? I go to the nursing home. It's pathetic. These people are so lonely, and all they do is drug them up. They can't even visit their own mother and father in a nursing home. They don't belong there because they don't go. You know why? They're filled, filled with guilt. All they wanted was their money. Shame on you if you did that. And it's not too late. Go get them out. There are some cases where you have no choice because of certain medical difficulties. But if it's not there, over half of them don't belong there. 
And if you at least if they have to be there, go visit them. Bring your children. They love when you bring children to see them. They love it. Because it reminds them of life. And they won't drug them up if they know you're going to be coming all the time. They drug them up so much they can't even make acts of faith, hope, and love. I hope you're not guilty of that. All right? And we're going to, I'm going to say about being generous with children, to have as many as possible. One of the things I'll tell you right now, I always tell parents, that last child you don't want may be the one that won't put you in the nursing home yourself. And you laugh, right? But let me tell you something. I preach this all the time. You know how many people have come up to me and said, you know, Father, I was number 13, and my other brothers and sisters wouldn't take care of my mother. I took care of her for 10 years. I didn't put her in the nursing home. Not once this has happened to me many times. So remember that. When your parents died, how are you faithful to their last will and testament if you're the executive of the will? Or you just say, ah, the heck with it. I'll just spend the money the way I want. These are serious sins. For the children, again, have you had contempt or disobedience to the lawful commands of your parents? Now we come to the parents. Do you, have you hated your children? Have you cursed your children? A curse is where you wish them evil. Many parents curse their children. And guess what? They get possessed sometimes, literally, by Satan. And when a child gets possessed or a person gets possessed because their parents cursed them, the, the exorcists tell us that it's the, one of the hardest cases to deliver. The exorcist that trained me told me, uh, he told all of us, he gave us classes, he said that he had a case once, the mother didn't want him to get married, and he did. She cursed him, and she told him, you will come back and die in a bed that you were born in. Guess what? Ten years go by, I forgot the exact story, the whole thing, but I remember this much. He finally, he always tried to reach out to his mother, so he was in the town one day. And he said, let me go visit Ma. Maybe she'll forgive me. And he went there, and guess what? He got sick suddenly, really sick. Guess where he ended up? In the bed that he was born in. He died. This is true. So don't ever curse your children. Have you scandalized your children by bad language, by drinking in in front of them, getting drunk or doing drugs? Have you dressed immodestly in front of your children? Have you and your spouse, have you fought in front of the children? Never fight in front of your children. If you have to duke it out, go in the room. And I don't mean that in a little sense, but never do that, because once the children know that you're split and divided, they're going to manipulate you. You know what I'm talking about. When you raise your children, you have to be consistent. Oh, mommy's in a good mood today, so we could get away with murder. Today she's in a bad mood, we've got to walk on the eggshells. These are all serious sins. Do you love your spouse? I'll get to that too. Because the children, the first right they have is for their mother and father to love each other. They need that security. Have you gotten divorced? Ruins the children. Did you let your children grow up in ignorance? And sometimes I'm totally, I'm a big promoter of homeschooling. 
I really promote it big time, especially today. You know, in, in stay the church. Fulton Sheen said 45 years ago, if you want your children to defend their faith, send them to a public school. If you want them to lose it, send them to a Catholic school. So I'm a big fan and promoter. But I'll tell you what, some homeschoolers are failing because they're not disciplined enough and they let their children fall way behind. If you're guilty of that, you better get on and crack the whip and, and get back on track. Have you let your children fall into idleness? Okay, these are serious sin. Have you deferred baptism for a child? You've got to baptize your children as soon as possible. You never take your child or newborn baby in a car unnecessarily or you go outside because you don't want the baby to be exposed, God forbid, to death. The church tells us, the only thing I can tell you, a baby has to be baptized. Why? St. Augustine, that's what he says about abortion. The greatest sin of abortion, the baby is denied baptism. As Roman Catholics, we cannot deny that there is a limbo for babies. Can't deny that. So never, never defer baptism. Have you neglected to watch over your children's bodily uh, health? Religious instruction. You're responsible. Even if Father Wolf is instructing your child, say, you are responsible to go over the catechism and make sure you're, you have more of an obligation than the pastor does. Do you know that? When it comes to your children. Do you watch the company that your children keep, or do you let them hang out with devils? You know, this is, this is so bad. Do you watch the books that your children read? Once again, Harry Potter. Do you watch the game? Do you watch, do you let your children go on the internet? I'm going to tell you right now, all the parents here, don't let your children go on the internet unless you're sitting right next to them, because they will fall into sin. Do you hear me? And you better get filters on there for yourself, too. Don't trust your children on the Internet alone. If they're going to go on it, you better have a lock and key, and you better have, you know, two keys. You and your husband have to unlock it together. You know, really. Because many children are in serious mortal sin with all the pornography and everything else on there. It's demonic. You watch the games that your children play. These video games are demonic. Dungeons and Dragons, do you let, do people let their children play these games, these role-playing games? I never forget, I read the story of this woman up in Vermont, Pat Pullins, I think her name was. What a sad story. She didn't know, one day, her son graduated from high school, and she said they went to go buy tickets to go down to that demonic place, sorry to tell you, Disneyland. Never go to Disneyland, you better boycott that dump. Because they promote homosexuality and everything else. They're demonic. But anyway, she was going to take the family down there for the gra- after the graduation. She drives up to a farm in Vermont and she sees the door open. She said uh, she felt her heart sink. She knew something happened to her son. There he was, dead. If, I co- if I'm correct, I think he blew his own brains out. He committed suicide, left a note. You know what happened? He was playing Dungeons and Dragons. And he took on this role, this role playing. He started to believe, and in the role, he had to kill someone. He says, I can't do this, I'm evil. So he killed himself. And then she found it out that there was many signs, but she was blind to them. 
And she found his uh, backwards writing. That's demonic. All kinds of stuff. You've got to really be careful on what your children are watching and playing. There's a book that I highly recommend from Angelus Press. It's called The Absolute Essentials of Raising Your Children. That book is gold. Get that book and read it. As far as books, another one I want to mention once again, By Preparation for Death. St. Alphonse, that's what I'm preaching from. It's not, this ain't me, this is the saints. You wouldn't want to hear what I have to preach. You want to hear what the saints have to preach. More sins against the fourth commandment. Failure to correct, to discipline. Many parents fail in two ways. Either they go overboard or they don't correct enough. You have to be consistent. All right? And, you know, spare the rod, it says, spoil the child. I said, but don't be so quick to use violence. You know, it's very rare cases should you have to discipline your child like that. And if you do the right thing with your child from when they're young, you'll, you won't have problems. But you have to be a good example yourself. Have you forbidden your children to enter the vocation that God has called them to? This is so, so important. That God has chosen a vocation for each and every one of us. And you can't force your child into any vocation. The church says that you have to pray with your child, help them to discern God's will. And if you think your son or daughter is called to a certain life, you could, you could kind of, you know, just hint to it, but you don't want to put pressure on them. And many parents, St. Alphonse Liguori, say are in hell because they wouldn't let their son or daughter enter religious life or the priesthood or their true vocation. And the children are in hell, and so are they, because your vocation is connected with your salvation. Okay? St. Alphonse teaches that once you know your vocation, if you discern it the proper way, God will reveal it to you. And if you choose to reject that, if you're called to marriage and say, no, I'm going to be a priest, he says it's almost impossible, almost impossible for you to save your soul. Because the graces for your salvation were in that particular vocation. Okay? So encourage your children. Pray with them every day. When you pray the rosary, pray, Blessed Mother, grant them the efficacious grace to know their vocation, to have a holy indifference, and to respond to it. Okay? This is very important. And once again, the other thing I really recommend is every day pray with your children Teach them to pray that they don't lose their baptismal innocence, which means they'll never commit a mortal sin. I have children praying, praying this for years. I see such a difference in them than other children because God will give you your heart's desire. And when they're young and innocent, they're pure. Their prayers are powerful. God will help them. Another one is that you're never allowed to let your children sleep with you as parents, sleep with you, or in a bed with another sibling, with a brother or a sister. It's a grave mortal sin. If you didn't know that, it wasn't. But you know it now. And if you're stuck, you've got to stop that right now. And there's reasons for it, St. Alphonse. I didn't know why until I started hearing confessions. It's very serious. It leads to many problems later on in life, trust me. Okay? So do not let your children sleep together. Do not let them sleep in your bed. Never, never, never. 
The other thing, this is a big one now. Have you let, have you permitted your children to date? That's right. Dating is not from God, and the church never approved of dating. The church always spoke of honorable courtship. They even mention that in the New Catechism. Honorable courtship. Dating is from hell. It was an invention of the last century when the car was invented. It took courtship out of the family. Okay? Dating is an occasion of sin. Anyone who dates guaranteed will fall into sins against purity, if not indeed in thought. And that is the truth. Okay? These kids start dating at such a young age, it's demonic. And they get involved with all kinds of sins. You know, there's a basic rule that the marriage act is only for those that are married. Therefore, anything that leads to the marriage act is also only for married people. All right? Simple thing. So courtship is when you're old enough, mature enough, and you're free to marry. You could court. But if you know you don't want to marry this person, say, you don't have no business even being around them. That doesn't mean if you're caught, you have to know you're going to marry a particular. But courtship is to get to know the person. And it's done within the family. If you want to know someone, you get to know their family. You know the saying, the apple don't fall far from the tree, right? But there's also, I always tell people, the nut doesn't fall far from the tree, too. All right? You go into somebody's house, and people tell me story with the courtship. It's funny. They get, say, man, I went to the, I, I thought this person was nice, and I went over to the house, and, oh, the nightmare stories. That's it. It's over. Courtship is awesome because there's no physical contact. I have brought people, I've helped people through the courtship process. Some of them never even kissed until they lifted the veil up. Those marriages will never end up in divorce. They love each other. They respect each other. They know that their spouse respects them. The beautiful thing about courtship is your mother and father have special intuition from God, especially mothers. Let me tell you, unless your mother's a psycho, and sometimes that happens, unfortunately, but if your mother's not a psycho, she could tell you if that person is... They say, that girl is not for my son. And you know, many of them come into me and they say, Father... If I would only listen to my mother, she never liked that girl from the first day she laid eyes on her. And mother knows best, believe me. Okay? So, you know, you too. And what's great about courtship for the girls is when they don't like the guy, they see this guy, he's not good, they say, hey, Pop, get rid of this clown. And he grabs the bike, get out. I don't want you ever around my daughter. And that's it. And then you're not alone, so you don't fall into sin. And it's beautiful. The statistics for courtship are mind-boggling. Hardly any divorce. But all these other people. And believe me, I hear, I'm in the confessional. Dating is from hell. So if you dated, you allowed your children to date, you better confess it. Because you have a lot to answer for. Okay? Here's another one, especially with, the ma- with children, of bad marriages. So many times, parents, their children get married. And this goes for everyone, even if you're not a a mother or a father. The children get married within the church. The church blesses the marriage, and they get divorced. 
And they don't get an annulment because they can't get it. And then they get married civilly. You are not allowed to go to those weddings. It is a mortal sin. Do you hear me? It's a mortal sin. And I'm at war with this all the time. So many people are going to these weddings. And they don't get it. You are cooperating in the sin of your son or daughter or friend, nephew, whoever it is. This is a very bad sin. And so I get, a, I, I get crazy. And then the people go to them, okay, Father, you're telling me I can't go. I say, that's right. Well, I can't go to the ceremony, but can I go to the reception? I said, are you, are you brain dead? Are you, did you do a lot of drugs or something that has affected you so bad, so much? And they look at me, what are you talking? I said, you know what that's equivalent of? It's like your son coming to you and say, Dad, I, I, I just loaded my 45 and put some heavy loads in there and I got six, six rounds and I bought an extra clip just in case. I'm going to go shoot Johnny around the corner. You want to come and join me while I murder him? You say, no, son, but when you're done, I will go to the pub and celebrate with you. You would celebrate him murdering someone? Well, you're celebrating your son or daughter, whoever it is, committing either adultery maybe, fornication, cohabitation, scandal. You can't do it. Okay? And the church, and then the lady said, well, it's black, it's a gray area. It's not gray, it's black and white. I just helped the family, the whole family split over this. And, the, of course, the ones that want to go, they hate Father Isaac. The first thing they said, well, Father Isaac's not with the Pope. That's, they love that one, of course. He's not with the Pope. He's schismatic. He's heretic, which is all nonsense. And guess what happened? So the, the one daughter who's not going, she's listening to the truth. They're attacking her, right? So tell her, just hold your ground. We've got to suffer because it may be you, because of your conviction that's going to save your niece. Because she's getting mad. Not only that, we find out that Denise is cohabitating too. And so, guess how awesome God is. God provides. He tries to convict everyone of this sin. I get a call from her. She said her mother called her and said, Hey, uh, can you get Father Isaac to come to the lady across the street from me? She's dying. Maybe he could help her. So she said, Well, why would you want a priest to come who's not in union with the Pope? And she said, Oh, did I say that? Yeah, you said that. Then she said, Well... Because she knows I'm the only priest that would come. And so I, I would never turn anyone away. So I drive out there, and I see this lady. She had two uh, second operation. They took a tumor, cancerous tumor, off her brain. Second time, head was shaved. They took her, le- her left or right lung. She has one lung. She's dying this one. She has one hair sticking out of hell. And guess what? She's been in a bad marriage for 40 years. And I said... And I told my friend, you better tell your mother. And she said, that could be your, her granddaughter. That's the horrible thing of that sin. They had children together, and then it's harder to break the bond, you know. And it just gets worse. You're getting deeper and deeper and deeper. The fourth commandment pertaining to husband and wife. Have you put obstacles to, uh, to the fulfillment of religious duties to your spouse? By not letting them fulfill their obligations. Do you lack charity? Are you unforgiving? Are you verbally abusive? That's bad. 
Verbal abuse, they said, affects us all even worse than physical abuse. When those words leave your mouth, they're not yours no more. They're your spouse. It cuts deep, brings resentment. Get on your knees. I always tell couples, when you're having trouble, get on your knees together. Pray. Call the Holy Spirit. Your temples of God. Call the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. Pray together. And you know what? All the couples that do that, take that advice, they, they say it blows their mind what happens. All of a sudden, they see things clear and they work things out in the way that God wants. Have you neglected your household duties as a wife? You know, so many women, they think, oh, this is degrading to be a wife. You know, changing diapers, sweeping the floor. The Blessed Virgin Mary was a housewife. You think you're above the mother of God? Remember, it's not what you do, but the love you do with. You become a great saint as a mother. It's one of the most awesome, awesome vocations. And that's what we need in this society today. Real mothers that are willing to sacrifice their life for their children. And real fathers, that's a sin. And I forgot to mention it this, this afternoon. The men are emasculated today. You guys are a bunch of wimps. I'm sorry. The whole society is emasculated. The priesthood especially. It's a disgrace. God is calling you to be men, to lead your family, to govern your family, to be holy. Women must be submissive to their husband in all things. What does that mean? It means all legitimate things. Don't be a tyrant. I tell men, I'll be the first one to break your legs. You want to abuse your wife like that. You know, those Protestants love that. Woman, it's a disgrace. Because the man has it tougher. God gives the man a command. You know what he says? You must love your wife as Jesus loves the church, his wife, his bride. How does Jesus love the church? When the church betrayed him and crucified him, he forgave them. You have to forgive your wife. You have to forgive your husband. You have to be holy. You don't think, man, that St. Joseph was a little overwhelmed? It's, hard, it's a real hard thing living with saints. <laughs> Never mind God himself and the Immaculate Conception that are totally perfect. Imagine what that's like. Flawless. When our Lord had to flee Egypt, did he wake up? Did God the Father send the angel to wake up Jesus like Jesus didn't know what was going on? No. He's the child. Did he, did he wake up the mother of God? No. Did they even, you know, no. Who did they wake up? Joseph. And they didn't give him no option. Get up. Get moving now. God gives you the grace to be faithful to your vocations. Please, you've got to pray for this. Another thing with, uh, with married couples, have you denied the marital act without a grave reason? I don't have to get into details. The bottom line is it's a very grave sin. And it leads to many other sins, unfortunately. So be careful. Another thing under this, I would say, have you anybody in vitro fertilization, artificial insemination? And this is going on today. Rapidly, especially among homosexuals and so forth. They're, they're all getting 
these, they're adopting babies, they're, they're getting artificially inseminated. It's a disgrace. These poor children. We have to pray that this stops. Okay? And it's a, it's a cross, God says. The church tells us it's a cross for a woman not to be able to have children. But God knows better. His ways are not our ways. As far as high as the heavens are above the earth, my ways are above yours. If he doesn't want, allow you, permit you to have children, it's because there's, there's a reason that he doesn't want you to know. And if you accept it, maybe he wants you to adopt a child. I know numerous cases where they couldn't conceive. And after 10 years or so, they finally adopt a child. And then after, within one month, I know this one lady, she adopted a baby. Within one month, she was pregnant with her own child. So these are all sins against the fourth commandment. We come to the fifth, thou shalt not kill. Are you guilty of the sin of murder? Yes, people murder every day. Abortion is murder. Have you helped someone in an abortion, financially supporting them or any way? Have you used contraceptives, the pill and so forth? These things are abortifacient. You could still conceive, but you'll abort the baby. And, and it says it in the small print. I, I, I can't believe those commercials about birth control. It's unbelievable. Just a few minor side effects. Heart attack, stroke, death. Just minor things, you know. Give me a break. No. Euthanasia, that's where abortion leads to. I, I'm, I was so happy, and it's sad, but happy to see those signs. Terry was murdered. Terry was murdered. There was no shepherds even crying out in this country. There was one in Oregon, thank God, Bishop Voss, I remember, and he said that that, you know, it was murder. They can't deny ordinary means. And unfortunately, her bishop, where she was, you know what he told the husband? Son, in these cases, you must follow your conscience. Well, his conscience was erroneously informed. He wanted to murder his wife. So you know what I have to say to that, Bishop? One day, maybe the husband's going to come in and say, Hey, Bish, you're next. I want to murder you. Is he going to say to him, Well, follow your conscience? It's murder. And euthanasia, if you think Terry's the only one that's been murdered like that in this country, you're wrong. I hear cases, one after another, what they're doing in our hospitals today. And the Catholic hospitals are closing down. They weren't Catholic to begin with anyway, but uh, it's sad. Have you been violent? Any fights? Have you hurt someone? Have you given into anger, rage, hatred? Hatred is wish bad, evil on someone. Wish they lose their soul. Have you a desire for revenge? Unforgiveness is a bad one. Once again, I went over this yesterday. So many people here are not forgiving their spouses. Their loved ones, mother and father, keeps you in bondage. It's like poison that rots in your gut, consumes you. They said, they, they know today by science, they said that a lot of arthritis comes from unforgiveness. Okay? I bet you it's true. Okay? Sins of gluttony, drunkenness, drugs, and so forth. Endangering other people's life, like reckless driving or driving under the influence. How many times we see people getting killed by drunk drivers? It's horrible. 
Okay? Have you risked your life unnecessary? Especially today, we're seeing all these stuntmen and uh, doing these crazy stunts. They're endangering their lives. It's a mortal sin to endanger your life without a grave reason. You know, jumping off these bungee cords and, you know, and all these other crazy stunts that they're doing. It's a mortal sin because you have no regard for your life. Sins of mutilation, vasectomies, tubal ligations. If you had a vasectomy, the church teaches that you should have it reversed unless it's a very grave inconvenience. Okay, and the man says, well, it's going to hurt. Well, you didn't mind it when you had it done, did you? And so, and sometimes it can be, when they reverse it, sometimes God is good. I know a couple that they were advised by four priests that it was all right to have a vasectomy, and they, they, they ended up doing it, the man. And then they met a good priest and said, no, go get it reversed. They did, and God blessed them with uh, five more children. That was awesome. You know, what a gift. Okay? Have you led others into sin? Why, you know, why is it leading others into sin, a mortal sin? Because when you lead someone into serious sin, you kill their soul. The soul that God created. And if they die like that, they lose it. Okay. The next are the big, this is the big ones now. The sixth and the ninth. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. These sins are not the worst sins to commit. But guess what? They're the sins that get most souls into hell. A lady of Fatima is clear. Most souls in hell are there for sins of the flesh. St. Alfonso Gori and other doctors of the church say that most souls in hell are there for sins of the flesh. And those that are there primarily for other sins at one time committed the sin of impurity. That's how bad this sin is. And so I say to you, if you were a general in a war, are you going to use your most effective weapon or your least effective? You're going to use the most powerful weapon you have. And that's why Satan has unleashed this, this, this impurity today. I just read Father Wolf gave me some statistics that the bishop, uh, nearby bishop put out on pornography. Mind-boggling. I couldn't believe how bad it is. I knew it was bad, but it's a lot worse than I thought. Okay? It's really, really bad. So the sixth and the ninth is the sin that gets most souls. Okay? And that's one of the things, going back to the fourth commandment. Sex education is from hell. Shame on any shepherd, any priest that made children take sex education. Demonic. I had parents call me up and they say, My daughter, she used to play with dolls, and now this, that. I said, I'm going to Take her out. Better your children be a retard, play cards the rest of their life. I mean it, than to fall into these sins of the flesh. So, sins of impurity and immodesty in words, thoughts, looks, actions, whether alone or with others. Okay, that's so important. Okay, so it's impure thoughts. If you have an impure thought, it's not a mortal sin. But if you entertain that thought and desire it, it's a mortal sin at that point. 
St. Alphonse says, if you get an impure thought, if you call on the Blessed Virgin Mary, you will not fall. Call on her. You won't fall. Okay? So, impure in words, looks, actions, whether alone or with others. Telling and listen to dirty, filthy jokes. Whether you tell them or listen to them. If you listen and you laugh, whatever... You, even if you listen, you take pleasure. It's a mortal sin. Wearing immodest clothing. This is a big one, especially with the woman. Women don't realize. Any woman that wears immodest clothes, I don't care what she says, and I've had arguments, I'd look right in their eyes and say, you only do it for one reason. You want the attention of men. And that's a fact. And I'm going to give you one basic, easy rule to remember. Clothes are meant to conceal, not reveal. You hear me? Clothes are meant to conceal, not reveal. So anything that's low cut, anything that's high, is revealing. Anything that clings to the body is revealing. If you have tight jeans, pants, any tight shirts, it's a mortal sin, ladies. And you'll lose your soul if you don't repent and knock it off. Remember that story in the book Hell that Tam puts out. It's a great book. Read it. The first part is about hell. They tell you stories from private revelations of saints. And the second part is how to avoid hell. And there was a a woman, and she died. And everyone thought she was a holy woman. She went to heaven. And so she appeared. Okay? She appeared to her friend one day. And the friend was petrified because she looked horrible. So where are Who is it? It's your friend. Where are you? In hell. What are you doing in hell? She goes, I used to dress in modestly because I wanted the attention of men. And now I have to burn in hell for eternity. And she said, did the world end? She said, what do you mean? Why? Why why do you want to know that? No. She said, because there's so many souls falling in hell like snowflakes. I thought the world ended. And that's true. Many, many go that way. So if you're dressing immodestly, you better stop. You're letting your daughters dress immodestly. You're responsible. Any man that looks at you in an impure way, it is your sin. That means you could have millions of them on your conscience. Believe me, it's horrible. Do you buy or watch indecent movies, pornography, or bad books? Have you committed sins of fornication, masturbation? Yes, that's a grave sin. Don't let any priest tell you it's not. Gone to prostitutes. Okay? Adultery, divorce, polygamy, incest, sexual abuse, rape, petting, all those other things outside of marriage. Okay? Have you abused the marriage act in any unnatural way? Just because you're married doesn't give you a license to do anything. There's a natural law that must always be followed, all right? In modest dance, okay, cohabitating. Are you cohabitating without being married in the church? You know, I have friends, they live, they have a, a winter, they go in the winter, they go down to Florida in a very affluent neighborhood, right? And she said there's many elderly people, I, I was blown away, in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, And they cohabitate in. Okay? And they're not angels. 
They're not living like brother and sister, and they're falling into sin, and they don't want to get married in the church. They can, many of them, because they're afraid they're going to lose one of the Social Security check. Oh, Lord, it's better you went to heaven with one less arm and one less leg, whatever it is, than to enter Gehenna with your whole body. So they, they go to a mission every year. It's a big Catholic area. And in the mission, they wait for the heretic priest every year. They got a new heretic coming. And he gets up there and he gives them general absolutions that's invalid. And they wait for that. They're all going to hell if they don't repent. She wanted to know if I'd come down and do a mission. I said, I'd love to come down there. They would never allow me in that door. You know, never. We've got to pray for these people that they convert. That could be your mother and father, your grandfather. Believe me, it's unbelievable what's going on. So that's the sixth and ninth, okay? Then we come to the seventh and the tenth. Thou shalt not steal, all right? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. So have you stolen any property, any possessions of someone else? And if you have stolen, have you made restitution? You must make restitution when you steal something. If it's worth $100, you have to give $100. The most, the, the ultimate thing is to give it from where it was taken. But if you can't, you have to give it to a charity of your own choice. The church says you never have to incriminate yourself. All right? So if you can't give it to where it was taken, give it to charity. Okay? Do you pay your bills on time? Okay? Do you fulfill your work obligations? If you're getting paid eight hours a day and you're fooling around three of those hours, you owe your employer three hours of work. All that money is robbing from him. So if that adds up over 20, 30 years, you owe restitution. And if you're still working, I tell the people what you start doing is stop taking lunch, come in a little early, stay a little late, and keep track of those hours. Start working it off. When you go to work, do you steal papers, pens? You know what? At first, it's not a much, right? But after 30, 40 years, man, that number starts growing. You've got to make restitution. Better I'm telling you now than on the judgment. And, and the judge is telling you, hey, you're not making it. You didn't make restitution. So many priests are telling penitents, as long as you're sorry, that's all God expects. No, he expects you to make restitution. Do you pad your expenses? Do you have an expense account? <clears throat> excessive gambling. Gambling is not a sin in itself, but excessive gambling is, especially if you're gambling with money that you need to support your family and things like that. These casinos, I don't know, probably out here, I haven't seen, but a lot of places out here, I know, in the Midwest, they have uh, casinos. Casinos from hell, don't ever go there. There's a million demons. If you could see with spiritual eyes, there's legions of demons just perched on those roofs, in those buildings. There's the most horrible people. Don't ever go there. There's a lot of witches. I ended up meeting somebody that worked in a casino. And they, you know, had a conversion. They said half the people, they, a lot of the ladies, they said, were all witches there that worked dealing cards. I'm not saying that's everywhere, but they're there. Usury, which means lending money with, at a high interest rate to someone who's in financial difficulty. If you lend money, the higher the risk 
the higher you could charge interest, but you've got to be careful that you're not taking advantage of anyone. Have you accepted any bribes? Have you broken any contracts that you signed? Okay? Envy, which is the desire of another good, others' goods. If you desire other people's goods, some people even wish bad that they lose what they have. That's evil. Jealousy. Okay? And greed. These are sins against the seventh, tenth commandment. And then we come to the last one, the eighth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Have you, you know, lies, big lies, serious lies, especially if it helps you um, obtain something. Boasting, bragging, flattery, exaggeration. And then the big ones are detraction, calumny. Detraction, St. Thomas Aquinas says, is worse than if you were to murder someone in the literal sense. Detraction is where you reveal the sins of a person. That's not public knowledge, even though it's true, and you ruin their reputation. He said it would be better if you were to murder them. Because if you murder them, they don't have to live in this world. But if you murder their reputation, they may not be able to function ever again. And so one time, St. Philip Neri, a woman came to him and committed detraction. So he told her, go to town, buy a chicken. When you get the chicken, I want you to pluck all the feathers and count them, how many there are. And then I want you to go to the tower in town. She climbed up the tower. It was a windy day. Let the feathers go and then come back. So she comes back. She said, I did everything you told me. He said, good. Now go collect all the feathers. She says, that's impossible. The wind is so strong. He says, yes, and it's impossible for you to restore the reputation that you destroyed. It's a very serious sin. It's a sin that's happening all the time. And gossip is very bad. It may not be a mortal sometimes, but it will lead to detraction. Okay, and calumny is another grave sin, and that's where you lie about someone and you ruin their reputation. Rash judgments, which means that you make a judgment without sufficient reason. And this is important because the devil is using this as a weapon today, telling good people too, well, you're, you're making a rash judgment. Well, you, a rash judgment, once again, is where you don't have any basis to make the judgment. Okay, so when we convict someone of sin, say, say, well, that's, that's unnatural, that, that sin, you know, sodomy is against the natural law, it's a mortal sin, you can't do that. Alright? If, if, if you say that, and they say, well, you're being judgmental. I say, no, I'm not, I'm just speaking the truth. Alright, that's not being judgmental. We have to make judgment. And touching upon that, sodomy, going back, that's another sin against the sixth commandment. That is rampant today. I'm sorry to tell you. And they're trying to brainwash everybody. You know, they come out with these books for the kids in school. Heather has two mommies. Johnny has two daddies. It's from hell. And anybody who has the cross of having a son or daughter in that particular vice, and they say, and you never let them come home with their, with their so-called friend, whatever you want to call them. You tell them they got to repent or they're going to go to hell. Pay, pray for their conversion. Another sin we go on is the revealing of secrets. Okay? And those are the, these, this completes, we could say, the examination of conscience. 
And so at the present time, it depends on us to choose whether, whatever sentence we please. Review and settle your accounts. The judge may be appeased before judgment, but not during it. Now's the time. We're going to go to the general judgment now. How terrible that day will be on which we will be tri- which will be tried. The case of every child of Adam on which our own cases will be settled in the final sentence as to our future published. That day will gather to itself the days of every century, past, present, and to come. Then shall the world render an account of its ages. Then shall the anger of God, pent up through the centuries, break forth. The general judgment will take place at the end of the world when Jesus Christ comes in his glory for the second and final time. In the scriptures we read that there's at least five signs that must be fulfilled before the second coming of Christ. And the first is, and we could read these, a lot of it's in Matthew chapter 24, but the first is the sign, it's the preaching of the gospel to all ends of the earth. Okay, the first sign is the preaching of the gospel to the whole world. Jesus asserts this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony to all nations. And then shall the consummation come. The words do not assert that the end will come immediately when the gospel has been preached in the whole world. And we know that the gospel has been preached throughout the whole world. Many missionaries have preached the word throughout the whole world. Shortwave radio now. See, the word's around. Unfortunately, after the Second Vatican Council, the missionary zeal in the church died because of that horrible thing called indifferentism and universal salvation. And we have to pray for a revival of that. The second sign is the conversion of the whole Jewish nation. St. Paul in Romans tells us, reveals the mystery that when the fullness, that is the number ordained by God of the Gentiles, are, has entered the kingdom of God, all Israel will be converted and saved. Okay? And some people say, well, that's impossible. That will never happen. It will happen because God said it will. And I, I give people a scenario sometimes. I say, well, say an atomic bomb blows up the world, a lot of the world, and there's five Jews left. That will be the whole Jewish nation. It could happen. I'm not praying it happens that way, but that's possible. The next is the falling away from the faith, the total apostasy. Jesus foretells that in the time before the end, false prophets will appear who will lead many astray. St. Paul asserts that before the coming again of the Lord, the schism must come. That is the falling away from the Catholic faith. We are experienced now, I'm convinced, the apostasy in the church is horrible. So, another sign fulfilled. The fourth sign is the appearance of the Antichrist. The Antichrist appears in the power of Satan. He will work apparent miracles, but they won't be miracles. In order to lead men astray and to fall away from the truth into unrighteousness, and to cast them into destruction. According to St. Paul and St. John, the Antichrist 
is to appear as a definite human person who is, will be the instrument of Satan. The Didacus speaks of the seducer of the world. The Antichrist will be a man. Many of the fathers think, believe that he'll come from Jewish descent. He'll be a very charismatic person. And he'll try to win people over to this false ecumenism and peace. Cardinal Biffy just gave the Holy See uh, a retreat not too long ago. And he warned the Pope himself how the Antichrist will come. Preaching ecology and ecumenism. He said the Antichrist will give the people everything they need and want except for Jesus. We've seen that today with all this nonsense. Okay? I, you know, so the Antichrist is going to get people to worship him, a man. And you know what? Many things are pointing at. Once again, people today worship themselves. Okay? I, look at the, the Novus Ordo liturgy, I'm sorry to say. But when you look at it, it's totally, mostly horizontal. They try to take the vertical out. Why? So you get used to worshiping men. So when Antichrist comes along, it's going to be easy jump. The next and last sign is severe tribulations. Jesus foretells of wars, famines, earthquakes, and bitter persecutions for his disciples. Sounds familiar? War. Who's in war, right? Famines, earthquakes, mudslides, tornadoes, tsunamis. I told you, tell you again, those were chastisements from God. And these chastisements that are happening, New Orleans, was chastisement. They're going to increase as we come towards the end. Every year we're breaking records with tornadoes in this country. Every year, look at just recently, those tornadoes devastated Alabama, Georgia, and many other places. It's going to get worse. You keep an infant in Prague, a statue of infant in Prague in your house. It's very powerful, especially against storms. He says, if you honor me, I will honor you. He says that. The more you honor me, the more I will bless you. That's no lie. And so... The time of the second coming. The time of the second coming and the judgment is basically unknown to man. So we have to be prepared. But don't, some people get so obsessed with this let, the let final coming is, you know, they think it's at such a distance. But what if you, what if you're taken tonight? Once you go for the particular judgment, your eternity is sealed, whatever the judgment is. So now speak about the end of the world. The end of the world will be immediately followed by two great events, the resurrection of the dead and the judgment. St. Peter teaches us that the end of the world will be by fire at the moment when Jesus Christ shall come in his glory to judge the living and the dead. This universal fire will destroy the present world, purifying all things and making them worthy of the new state so as to be in harmony with the glory of the elect. Remember, I thought there'll be a new heaven, new earth. It will also act as an instrument of God, in particular for the purification of those souls which are still in purgatory and still living at the time. The purifying virtue of this fire will be proportioned by God to the degree of expiation necessary in each case. So if you're still living, say the world's going to come, the end comes right now. You're not getting off with purgatory time. You will suffer in that moment 
all the pains you would have suffered if you had to go to purgatory in proportion to the expiation required by justice. The resurrection of the dead, St. Paul tells us that there will be heard a voice. The sound of a trumpet will be will awaken the dead from their tombs and command all men to stand before the judge of the living and the dead. And this judge will descend from heaven in all his glory and his majesty. The saints tell us our Lord will descend and he'll come with all the instruments of the passion. These are the nails that you nailed me to the cross with. These are the crown of dawns that you placed upon my head. It's going to be scary for those reprobates. The bodies of the elect will be glorified. They will be the same bodies that they just had when they lived on earth, but glorified. The body will have four perfections of, or properties. Remember when Jesus wrote to the, rose from the dead, he had a glorified body. You're going to have that. And I'm going to go over these four qualities when I speak on heaven. But I'll name them. And one is impassibility, two, subtlety, three, agility, and four is clarity or brightness. It's awesome what God has prepared for us. Your body's never going to get sick again. You'll never have to go on a diet again. You'll never lose your hair or anything. You won't gain weight. None of that nonsense. You won't need air conditioning. You won't need heat. It's awesome. The bodies will rise at an age in which the human nature is in its most perfect state of development. Most theologians believe that it will be 33 years old like Christ was when he rose from the dead. So now we come to the judgment itself. In 2 Corinthians it says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the proper things of the body, according as done, whether it is good or evil. As soon as men rise from the dead, they will be immediately in the presence of the sovereign judge, who will appear under the form of his sacred humanity. All the glory which is due to his union with the person of the word. All men will see the glory of the sovereign judge, but only the elect whose souls enjoy the beatific vision will see the glory of his divine nature. The reprobates won't see the glory of his divine nature because hell is the absence of God. You know, and they couldn't take the, his, his presence anyway. All men will see the glory of the sovereign judge, but only the elect whose souls enjoy the beatific vision, once again, will see the glory of his divine nature. The angels shall go out and shall separate the wicked from amongst the just. The just will stand on the right and the wicked will be driven to the left. What will be the confusion of the wicked after being separated from the just? They will be abandoned. The confusion alone would, according to St. Christendom, be sufficient to constitute a hell for the reprobate. The son will be separated from the father, the husband from the wife. One shall be taken, one shall be left. Tell me, brother, what place do you think will fall to you? Would you wish to be found on the right hand if you do abandon the life that will lead to the left? And I'm going to end the conference. I just want to read one more thing to you because I think it's very powerful. And it's from St. Peter of Alcantara. He was a great Franciscan that started a reform. 
St. Teresa of Avila said that if it wasn't for St. Peter of Alcantara, her reform would have never took place because people were telling her that she was crazy. Priests were telling her she was crazy, but it took this holy man, this saint, to tell her, no, this is from God. And when he died, St. Teresa had the gift to see his soul shoot up like a shooting star to heaven. It went straight up. So this is what he says. He describes this judgment. And like I said, I believe this is very powerful. That's why I'm reading it. What will the wicked feel when God examines each one, saying to him in the interior of his conscience, Come hither, thou evil man. What hast thou seen in me to despise me thus, and to pass into the camp of my enemy? To my own image and likeness I have created thee. I have given to thee the light of faith. I have made a Christian of thee. With my own blood I have ransomed thee. It was for thee I fasted and journeyed, watched and toiled. For thee my seat became as drops of blood. For thee I suffered persecution and blows, blasphemy and derision, mockery, dishonor, torment, and at last the cross. See here the cross and the nails. See still upon my body the wounds of my, in my feet and hands. Before the sky and earth I suffered. And they bear witness still. What hast thou done with that soul of thine, which I by my blood made mine? At what work hast thou employed what I so dearly won? O foolish and adulterous generation, why hast thou rather sought in weariness to serve thy enemy than enjoy to serve thee, thy Redeemer and Creator? So often have I called thee, and thou did not answer. I have knocked upon thy door, and thou did not rouse thyself. I have stretched out my hands upon the cross. And thou didst not regard. Thou hast despised my counsel and all my promises and threats. It is for you now, angels of mine, to speak. Judge, judges, between me and my vine. What is there that I ought to have done for it which I have not done? What reply shall the wicked give? Those who have made a mockery of divine things. Who have ridiculed holiness, who have despised simplicity, those who have preferred the laws of the world to those of God, men deaf to every voice of God, insensible to every inspiration, rebellious against his commandments, hard and ungrateful before chastisements and benefits of like. How shall they make answer who have lived as though they had no belief in God and knew no other law than that of their own interests? What will you do, says Isaiah, in the day of visitation and of the calamity which cometh from afar? From whom will you seek help? And of what value to you now will be the abundance of your wealth? O oh, faithful souls who love God, be not troubled at seeing yourselves in contempt and tribulation on this earth. 
your sorrow shall be turned into joy. On the day of judgment, you will be called truly fortunate. You will have the honor of being declared as belonging to the court of Jesus Christ. Oh, how great will they be, the honors of so many martyrs who have been torn to pieces by their executioners. The judgment begins. The books which shall be the consciences of each individual are open. The witnesses against the reprobate will be first the devils, who according to St. Augustine will say, Most just God, declare him to be mine, who was unwilling to be yours. The second witness will be their own conscience. Their conscience bears witness to them, it says in the scriptures. The third witness will be the judge himself, who will give evidence against the sinner. I am the judge and the witness, says the Lord. St. Paul says that then the Lord will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. Then he will make known to all men the most secret and shameful sins of the reprobate, which they concealed even in the tribunal of the confessional. Many theologians are of the opinion that the sins of the elect will not be manifested, but will, according to the words of David, be covered. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. But St. Basil teaches that with a single glance, all will see in a picture the sins of the damned. Okay? Those that are reprobates, all their sins that are so hideous and embarrassing, the whole human race will see what they did. Jesus Christ will first turn to the elect and address them in these consoling words. Come, you blessed of my father, possess the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But on the other hand, Jesus will say to the reprobate, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. There's two reasons I'll give you for the general judgment. The first is that the virtuous frequently suffer from misrepresentation while the wicked obtain commendation of virtue. Why does the just man suffer and the wicked man prosper? We see that in the world all the time. And you know what the great saints and doctors say? That if you get everything your way in this world, and if you go throughout life without crosses, it's a sign you are going to be condemned to hell. Why? These people are going to say to God, but I did, what about the good I did? And he's going to say, the good you did, you were rewarded. You wanted all your financial, your money, your cars, your vacations, your riches. I gave them to you. You didn't want me. And now you will pay. With your soul, for eternity, you will burn in hell. The second reason that those who depart this life leave behind them children who imitate their conduct, as well as dependents, followers, and others who admire and advocate their example, language, and actions. Now, by all these circumstances, the rewards or punishments of the dead must be increased, since the good or bad influence of example affecting as it does the conduct of many, 
is to terminate only at the end of the world. So in other words, when you do good, when you teach your children to do good, to be holy, they'll teach their children to be holy. And guess what? That's how awesome God is. You can't outdo Him. You accumulate. All that merit will come to you at the end. And you'll have great glory in heaven. But if you're wicked, all that demerit, all that evilness, you wicked to your children, they're going to be wicked to their children. The sins of a father are handed down generation to generation. And then all that evil will come upon you. And you will be punished for everything that you're responsible for. So I tell people too, don't think that one person can't change the world. Look at all the great saints that responded to God's will. He's founded so many great orders. They're going to get all that positive merit because of all that good work at the end. So, my friends, at the present, it depends on us to choose whatever sentence we please. Review and settle your accounts. The judge may be appeased before judgment, but not during the judgment. So, I encourage you, we'll be in the confession once again, as long as we have to. I'll tell you a quick story. You see, on the judgment, general judgment, if you're a reprobate, all your sins will be revealed. And if you want to conceal them now, you can do that. But God forbid, you're going to lose your soul, and everyone's going to know them. If you tell them now, only the priest knows them. I'm bound by the seal, the seal of confession. I am excommunicated if I ever revealed anything in a confessional. That's how much God provides for us, so that we'll confess you're holding sins, confess them tonight. If you're a recidivist sinner, you're committing the same mortal sin over and over again, going into confessional. After the third time, it's not valid usually. And I want to tell you the story. It just came into my mind. St. Leonard of Port Maurice is a great saint. And he said this woman, her husband was a wicked sinner. He was a wealthy man. And he kept on falling into wicked sins. So one day she says to him, do you think your absolutions are valid? You don't have a amendment of life. He said, shut up. Who are you? My confessor's a theologian. Mind your own business. So she mind her own business. Not too long after that, he died. And one day she's praying in the chapel, and this hideous figure comes before her. And she was petrified. And he started calling her. He says, who are you? I'm your husband. Where are you? I'm burning in hell. Who's that carrying you on, your sh on their shoulder? You know what he said? That's my confessor, my priest. Uh, I'm here because I kept on confessing the same sin and I didn't have a amendment of life. And the absolutions were invalid. And I'll burn in hell because of that. And I concealed sin. And he goes, and my confessor's here because he kept on absolving me and committing sacrilege. And part of his punishment in hell will be carry me and all the other penitents that he kept on absolving. My friends, that is a big problem in the church today. Most priests, unfortunately, they haven't even been taught the correct way. I am fortunate. And I'm not bragging or bringing attention. I'm just telling you, I know how to handle this because I was trained by a holy priest who taught us St. Alphonse, who is the moral theologian of the church, 
And the church says you cannot err if you follow him. St. John Vianney said he didn't become a confessor until he studied St. Alphonse's works. St. Pio follows St. Alphonse's theology. So please, I beg you, I will have compassion and mercy on you. Come in here and cleanse your soul. Please pray for the mission, the rest of the mission, because believe me, the devil doesn't like what's going on here. The truth sets you free. Okay? So pray that God will remove, the Blessed Virgin will stomp on the serpent's head, who's trying to prevent people from coming here. He's trying to harden hearts, that their hearts will be softened, and that they will save their souls. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen.